Good morning. It's good to be here with you. My name is Chad Myers. I am the Adult Discipleship Director here. Welcome to those of you joining us online, wherever you may be. And maybe I did go out and get a shirt to match this really fresh background. I was just told beforehand, they were like, they can't tell that it's purple. It, it looks white from the lights. And I was like, well, I'll just tell them that this is a purple shirt. And that was not such a tough talk I had with myself when a $10 shirt basically throws itself at you off the rack. You say, self, I need that shirt, and self says, go for it. So, come on, thank you so much. Looking good, Chad. You can sit there every week. It's a privilege to be with you here today, and uh, we are in our second week of Tough Talks. How to have tough talks with others. And if you missed it, uh, Pastor Trevor talked last week on Tough Talks with Self, and this is a bit of a sequence. That is, a, that is the place to start. And so if you missed it, please go back and catch that because uh, we always want to be looking in the mirror as we're thinking about looking out the window. And uh, he just did a phenomenal job of helping us to grow in awareness and what's going on here before we start to have conversations there and be aware of our motives and what kind of impact we may be having upon other people. And so uh, I'm going to talk with us today about having tough talks with others. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pause just for a minute because this is a bit of a tough talk that I'm giving to you about having tough talks with others. So I'd like to pray. And that's a precedent for all the tough, challenging conversations that we're going to have that God goes before us. And so would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you promised to hear us and act uh, on our behalf according to your will. So we pray that you would speak through me, that you would soften hearts. God, we pray that as we go in this challenging conversation, that you would give us faith, you'd give us courage, you'd give us humility, that you would speak very, very clearly to us how we need to respond in order to grow as a result of today. And we thank you so much for your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I called this talk the dance of dialogue, the dance of dialogue. How many of you would say, I'm pretty good on a dance floor? You know, I'm pretty good on a dance floor. If, you, if you're at home, I want you to do something. I want you to type what dances you can do into the comments. Can anybody out here, can anybody, like maybe we've got some real professionals. Anybody ballet, do some ballet dancing? All right. Anybody do a waltz? All right, come on. Anybody dance, what is it called, the Carolina Shag? Anybody dance the shag? Come on. I see a few of you. Two-step? Anybody do it? Yeah, that's right. That's two-step. How about any TikTokers out there? Any of you do Renegade? Hmm? I don't even know if that's the Renegade, uh, but my daughter tried to teach it to me, and it was an epic fail. I hear we may even have a famous TikToker in the uh, audience today. Is that how you say it, TikToker? I don't know. Correct me. I'm probably way wrong. I love to dance, and in fact, in our house, you might find us spontaneously breaking out into dance parties. I remember when I was in middle school, I would look forward to our middle school dances. I would make sure I had the right shirt. I would make sure I had the right pants, the right shoes, and I would look forward to it all week, and I'd have my little necklace hanging out because I thought I was so cool, and I would be sure and brush my teeth and have some gum in my pocket for that middle school bad breath, and I would get all sorts of excited going to the dance, a lot of butterflies in my stomach, and what was I going to do? Was I going to get on the dance floor? Was I going to kind of play it safe and post up by the punch bowl? Was I going to ask that girl that I was thinking about all week to dance with me? And what would she say? Would she reject me or would she accept? And when we got into the dance, how would it go? And in many ways, tough talks with others is like a dance. 
It's like a dance. We often experience all those types of emotions when we're trying to enter into tough talks with others. And I wonder if we can be invited to dance a dialogue today. Dialogue simply means this, the free flow of meaning between two or more people, the free flow of meaning between two or more people. And friends, I think this is really relevant for today because I don't think people want to dialogue. I don't think we want to have tough talks. We just want to talk tough. We don't really, we aren't really keeping the art of dialogue around. We're about shutting down the conversation or being right or winning the conversation or having that mic drop moment. Did you see what I said? And it just silenced everybody. And it's difficult because to really engage well in a tough talk, we have to pull our armor down and say, me first, I'll, I'll take a risk. I'll lead the way. And that takes vulnerability. And without vulnerability, our tough talks just turn into us talking tough and it kind of gets us nowhere. And tough talks happen when emotions are strong, when viewpoints differ, and when the stakes are high. And it is crucial that we start to handle these well because emotions are strong and there's differing viewpoints and the stakes are often really high. A tough talk with others can happen when you're starting a relationship, when you're taking a relationship to the next level, when you're ending a relationship, when you're addressing a coworker who maybe behaves offensively, I don't want to hear anybody, Mount Horp staff, come talk to me this week, all right? I don't want to hear it. Maybe when it's, you're giving the boss feedback about her behavior, that's a tough talk. Maybe when someone comes into your store and you have to ask them to put on a mask, it's a tough talk. Maybe I would argue parenting is a never-ending series of ongoing tough talks. Maybe teens, you have a friend and you're in conflict and you need to address it. It's a tough talk. Expressing your dreams or hurt feelings to a significant other. Those are tough talks. And these are crucial that we start to handle these well because guess what? It's navigating tough talks well that sets the team up for success and ensures that they are firing on all cylinders. It's having that tough talk with the student that ensures they reach their full potential of who God made them to be. It's having the tough talk with the spouse that says, I want to keep at this. We want to stay married, but we've got to work this out. It's having tough talks with the parents that say, I know you disagree with my choice of school and career, but we've got to get on the same page and go forward. And if we handle these well, they really do set us up for success. Don't you want some of that? Some of you are thinking of estranged family members right now that tough talks haven't gone well and it's been years. And we say we need to learn how to navigate these well. And one of the, we, we, we often do one of three things when it comes to these conversations. We avoid them. At first, we just avoid them. Any avoiders out there? I understand. I can avoid. Oh, that's too hard. Ugh, that's really uncomfortable. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. We're, we become the wallflower at the dance. We'll just sit over here and you guys go out there on the dance floor and you can make a fool of yourself and that's fine, but I'm not doing it. And we begin to sweep things under the rug and we downplay the impact. Well, it wasn't a big deal. Maybe they didn't mean it like they said it. You know, my feelings don't really matter. And we begin to sweep things under the rug until it starts to build up and build up and build up and then it leaks out in unhelpful ways. And how do you know if you're avoiding a tough talk? Maybe this, how many conversations are you having in your head that actually need to be out loud? How many imaginary tough talks are you having with that person that need to be put into practice? And I think sometimes we equate 
being, on, be, being Christian with being nice. Like we were all taught to be nice. And so we think, well, if I'm honest about that, that's just not very nice. And so we silence ourselves. I just don't find that to be true or helpful. And maybe for some of us, God is inviting us to engage and not avoid. Or maybe you're here and you have the tough talk, but you handle it poorly. The first one is silence. The second one may be violence. You know, maybe you get on the dance floor and you, you overestimate your skills a little bit and you didn't realize you had two left feet, but everyone around you realizes you had two left feet and you're just not lightly stepping on toes, but you're like breaking toes and people are going home and they're limping home and there's a wake of damage around you and everybody else knows it, but you don't. And maybe you've had tough talks that hurt other people and you say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at tough talks. I have them all the time. I tell people what to do and that's tough on them. And I wonder if some of our tough talks are not so much like dumpster fires because we're taking our cues from all the wrong places. And maybe I was really excited about saying dumpster fires in a sermon. But the two places I think that we look to for how to do this are social media and politics. And aren't you so glad, friends, that cancel culture is not in the divine vocabulary? If up on the screen, all of my thoughts and all of my motives and all of my behaviors and feelings were up there, I'd likely be canceled. It's not in God's vocabulary, though. And I'm not against politics and I'm not against politicians. But if we are looking to politics for the tone of how to have tough talks, we're toast. Because it's about winning. And it's about being right. And I wonder if we start to look at the scriptures and we start to look at Jesus and the example that we have in the gospels, if we can start to have tough talks well, and who, who here wouldn't say, I would like to do that. And that's the third option. We have them and we handle them well. We have them and we handle them well. And you may be saying, you know what? It's been so long. I don't know how to do this. It's been too, it's been too far. It's too far gone. It's not too late for you. Maybe you're an avoider and you've, you're still been avoiding and it's not too late for you today. Maybe you've caused some wreckage. It's not too late for you today. So what I'd like to do is simply give us two dance lessons and two dance moves. You good with that? Two dance lessons and two dance moves. Briefly, two lessons. Lesson number one, admit you need lessons. Admit you need lessons. If you've ever met a tough talk ninja and you've watched them hand, handle challenging things where emotions are strong and the viewpoints are different and you're just like, wow, that was so silky, like a seasoned captain navigating a storm. How did they do that? I guarantee you, they've worked at it, they've worked at it, they've worked at it. None of us are really good out the gate. And so we just need to admit we need lessons. We need practice. I remember I was early on in ministry and I was sitting with my boss, the senior pastor, and uh, they had kind of talked about, well, he's, he's got a pretty good teaching gift, we think. Maybe we'll try to develop him there. And he sat across the table from me and he said something like this. You know, Chad, you're a good teacher, but you're a weak leader. And if you don't develop in leadership, you're going to end up at a small church. And that just hit me. That impacted me. And it wasn't that it wasn't true that I needed to grow in leadership, but it was the way he said it. And it was the tone used and that impacted me. And maybe he needed to take lessons, but guess what? I needed to take lessons because guess what I did? I just shut down. I just silenced it. I had no idea what to do. And I never revisited it, probably to my own detriment. We all need lessons. We all need to take lessons. Listen to Matthew 7, 1 through 5. I'll try to give you a very important lesson here in this passage. It says, do not judge 
or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured you. And I don't think Jesus is saying just, hey, avoid the tough talks. He's saying, be careful that you're not being judgmental. Be careful that it's not coming from the top down, but you're coming to meet them at ground level. And he goes on in verse three and says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all this time there is a plank in your own eye? This is Chad's sign for plank. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. And Jesus teaches us a very important lesson here. We don't see all things clearly. We don't see very clearly at all. We don't see God clearly. We don't see others clearly. We don't see ourselves clearly. And if we think we're really, really certain about that speck of sawdust in our brother's or sister's or family member's eye, Jesus reminds us, we're not starting there. We're starting here. And you have a two by four in yours. So before you start to think that you're very sure about what's going on over there, you got to start here. And I want to give you one question as you're entering into difficult conversations that will help you be aware of that plank and maybe help whittle it down just a little bit. And the question is this, and if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write it down. The question is this, why do I want to have this tough talk? What's my motive? What's my motive? Do I want to be right? Do I want to win? Do I want to have this power move where, aha, now I'm on top, gotcha. What's my motive? And that comes through prayer and having tough talks with self. And the more we can name that, the more we can start to go forward in tough talks. We have to admit we need lessons. Secondly, we have to allow for missteps. We have to allow for missteps. I'm from West Texas, and uh, my wife is from Northern Michigan. And we met here at CIU uh, in South Carolina. And uh, when we got married, we were in St. Louis. And I asked her, hey, can you two-step? And she was like, what? What's two-step? And uh, she can dance. She's a really good dancer, and, uh, but she didn't know what a two-step two was. And I said, well, let me show you. You kind of have to learn it in Texas, uh, being a native of Texas. So uh, we went down into the basement at the house we were staying at, and we put on some Rascal Flats, and that was like our band. That was our jam. So we put on Rascal Flats, and we began to two-step. And I knew the steps well enough, but I wasn't great, and she didn't know them at all, so we weren't great, but she was going backwards, and I was going forward, and we started to two-step around the basement, and no, I'm not going to show you. Started to, aw, started to two-step around the basement, and we were laughing, and it was a little clumsy, and I was stepping on her feet, and she was misstepping, and we were running into each other, and we just ended up laughing a lot, trying to learn how to dance. We have to allow for missteps. Because these things are really, really difficult to do. We have to allow for our own missteps. We have to allow for our dance partners' missteps. Dance instructors sometimes will say that um, in the beginning, when they're teaching dance moves, it may take a month for that person to get it, and, but it may take two to three months for them to feel comfortable before practicing in social settings in front of others. Colossians 4.6 says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I looked up always in the Greek. Guess what it means? Always. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Let your conversation be always full of grace. There's that cliche that goes something like this. You know, it's not what you say, but how you say it. There's a reason it's cliche. 
And then here Paul says, let your conversation be always, have this tone. Can I be gracious? Can I admit I don't see everything? Can I admit I'm a little clumsy at this? And can we go forward together in this conversation? So as we remember those two lessons, as we remember that we need lessons and we remember to allow for missteps and we make our way out on the dance floor, let's look at Matthew 18, 15. This will be our text for today. It's, our, it's only one verse. It's incredibly easy to understand. It's very, very challenging to put into practice. We're not for the grace of God. And it goes like this. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. I'll read it again. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Dance move number one, find a common goal. Find a common goal. Do you see what Jesus says here? He says, if there's been impact upon you, and it can be sin, but it doesn't always have to be. It can be something that maybe somebody didn't intend to do, but it had a strong impact upon you. If there's been something that you need to address, he says, go to that person. And if they listen to you, then you have won them over. And the idea of winning them over has this concept of not winning the argument, but winning the relationship back. Winning the relationship back. It has to do with restoring relationship, reconciling relationship. That common goal of, don't you want to be on the same page so we can go forward as a team? Don't you want to be on the same page so we can go forward as a staff, as a school, as a church, as a couple, as a, as a group, as a friendship? Don't you want to be on the same page? you got to find the common goal. And I would argue this, that the church, there's an evangelistic tone in this. And if the church begins to handle dialogue well, it's one of the foremost winsome apologetics in need of today that people might start to watch and hear and be impacted by the gracious tone that the church has with each other and with others. And they might say, I want to be a part of that community because people aren't dialoguing like this anymore. And I would love to be a part of this community. Find a common goal. He says, win them over. Me and my wife will celebrate uh, 16 years in just a few weeks together. And uh, you know, we're very passionate people. And we, we are very strong. And we have opinions. And so that can often uh, lend itself to very passionate discussions, if you know what I'm talking about. And uh, early on when we were married, we could have long, passionate discussions. Um, just for the record, I want to be clear that I've only been wrong a day in my life. And that was the day that I thought I was wrong. So most of those, obviously, you know, were someone else's fault. Uh, but we had passionate discussions. And one of the things that has helped us quicker and get better at those is just kind of a variant of the question I put to you earlier. It's this question in the moment, maybe asking ourselves or the other person, what do I want? What do I want right now out of this talk, out of this conversation? What do I want? And sometimes it's, well, I just want to let you know the impact that that had upon me. I just want to let you know that that really hurt my feelings. Now, guys, we don't talk like that. We might say, I'm angry or you know, some other equivalent thereof. That's kind of vulnerable, but it's really vulnerable to say, no, that hurt me. I felt belittled. I felt made fun of. And maybe what I want is I just need to let you know that I'm scared. How we go forward. And maybe what I want is I just need to let you know that um, I need to be heard here. And friends, almost everybody I talk with, they can work with that goal. They work with that goal. They say, yeah, that, well, I'm, I'm with that. I'm for that. 
in any type of core relationship. I'm for that. I can hear you. I want to be there for you. I want to meet together. Let's go forward on those places. But often, because our hearts are mixed bags of motives, there's other things in there too. And if we're really, really honest, maybe what I want is to punish you. Maybe what I want is to pay you back for the pain that I feel, the pain that you caused, to take vengeance here. Maybe what I want is to put you in your place. And when we start to become aware of those motives, those arise to the surface, and then we realize, well, that's not a common goal. We don't want that in common. We start to name those, be honest with them, and then move them aside and say, all right, what do we want in common? How do we go forward here? What do I want? How can we win each other over the best possible way? When Green Day came out, with their first album in 1994. Yes, I'm going with the Green Day story. Uh, Their first album sold 10 million copies and they took the rock scene by storm and they continued to have success until about the 2000s. And then in the 2000s hit, they put out three albums and they were very poorly received. They just kind of tanked. And what was going on was the band wasn't really connected anymore. They were, you know, having their lives, marrying and having kids and going forward. And the lead singer said that he began to be insecure that the other two members were viewing him as too controlling or too dictatorial. So he stopped putting his ideas for songs out there. And he stopped letting them know his dreams. And he had a dream of doing a rock opera, but he didn't let him know. And, And at any point, at this point in time, any band would have kind of unraveled. But you know what they did? They, 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 had, they had mandated weekly tough talks. They said, hey, guess what? 2003, we're going to have a weekly time where we just get together and we have conversation. They began to bear their souls. They began to be honest. They began to talk about past hurt and future dreams and future goals. And guess what? In 2003, when they released their very next album, 16 million copies sold, charted in 27 countries. Their common goal, they caught together and they had a common goal. And guess what? When you find that common goal, your tough talk turns from a mountain into a molehill and it serves your common goal. It serves you as going forward. How do we best go forward together? So maybe you're a parent and you found something really disturbing on a, on a kid's phone. What's your common goal? Maybe you're a husband and you've realized you've been like super checked out and you've been distant, but you realize you've been distant because you're kind of nursing resentment. Well, how do you go forward in that tough talk? What's your common goal? And Jesus says here, if the church starts to do this well, you just might win outsiders. And all those are super important goals, but the mission of the church takes precedence. And the mission of the church, last I checked, we share a common goal to share God with others, to share God with those on the inside, to share God with those on the outside. We have a common goal sharing God with those on the left side, of sharing God with those on the right side. Are you with me? That's our mission. We have a common goal. Can you find yours for your tough talk? Dance move number two. If number one is find a common goal, number two is find common ground. Find common ground. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go point out their fault. Now, this is, this is crucial. This is such an important phrase. It's just a short one, but it's really difficult. He says, just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. Just you and that person. And if you're anything like me, 
then I, I often find it difficult to find common ground with someone who's hurt me, someone I feel let down by, someone who I have conflict with. Here's what I do often. I don't go to that person, I go to somebody else. And then I go to somebody else and I say something like this, you know, hey, can you believe they said that to me? Can you believe that they mishandled that? Man, that hurt me so much. And then we start to garner loyalty with this person and we start to create division and we triangulate. And then all of a sudden, we got this person on our team and we found a common ground with this person. But guess what we did? We found a common ground against someone. And I, friends, I think this is super important that, that the gospel invites us not to find common ground against someone, but to find common ground with someone. And how relevant for the culture today. When everything is splintering into tribal warfare and all sorts of different tribes are forming up and they're, they're forming up based on what they're against and we're against you and we're against you and we're against you. How refreshing and countercultural would it be for the church to say, we're not going to find common ground on what we're against. We're going to find common ground on what we're for. You're going to find common ground on what we're for. Notice what he says, just between the two of you, friends, it's hard to two-step with three people. It's not the Cupid shuffle. It's one V one. It's one-on-one. I uh, led a creative team in my former church, and I inherited the team. About 16 members came under my leadership, and one of the things I wanted to do was try to help create healthy team dynamics. And so I said to them, I said to them openly as a team, and then when they would meet with me one-on-one, I'd reinforce it, and it would go something like this. This team member would come to me to talk about this other team member, and they would say, hey, this is what happened, here's what's going on, and I would listen to them. And I would empathize with them and I would shepherd them and I would pray with them. And then I'd end the conversation like this. Okay, when are you going to go have that conversation with the other team member? Because this is not the tough talk. That's the tough talk. And you need to have it. And they began to, it began to enculturate the system, you know, and so that every time they would meet with me and I welcomed it, come talk to me. Absolutely. That's great. They would talk with me and then they would end the conversation. Oh, and I'm making an appointment to go and talk with them in next week. And I'd say, that's great. I'll follow up with you on how it went. And it's face-to-face. It's face-to-face. I have a friend. I think she would let me call her a friend. Um, She is a professional conciliator, which simply means um, that major players in the church world and major players in the corporate world hire her and fly her all over the world to come in and do conflict resolution and bring reconciliation And she's really, really good. And um, I've had the privilege of sitting in on a few meetings with her and watching her at work and being a part of her work. And she says this often, if you want to keep me on retainer, have tough talks through text. If you want to keep me on retainer, if you want to continue having to have these tough talks and having to have someone come in and clean up, Do it through the written word because when we're in each other's presence, there's body language, there's tone, there's eye contact that you just can't get from a text. And Jesus says, face to face, find common ground with that person, not against him. We're in the same family. This is, this is the larger conversation of common ground. If your brother or sister sins against you, we're in the same family. We just got done singing. We've been washed in the blood. And we're cleansed with the water. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings us together in the same family, adopts us as sons and daughters. And so when one member hurts, another member hurts. And when one member's in grief, another member's in grief. And when one member experiences success and flourishing, it impacts us all because we're in a family. 
I think the theology of the Lumineers was right. I belong to you. You belong to me. You're my sweetheart. Come on. We could be sweethearts. We belong to each other. We're in the same family. But not just that. We're in the same family with humanity. We all have what the Bible calls the image of God, the Imago Dei. Every man or woman child ever born in history has the divine stamp upon them. And so we are in shared humanity. We're in that family as well. And you might say to me, I have a tough time with this. I can't find common ground. I don't have common ground with this person. We disagree politically. We disagree theologically. I disagree with their lifestyle. I would just remind you that Jesus disagreed politically with the practices of Rome, and yet he healed a centurion's daughter. Jesus disagreed theologically with the Sadducees because they rejected resurrection, but he pointed them to the sign of Jonah as evidence for it. Jesus disagreed with the lifestyle of the woman at the well in John chapter four, and yet he dignified her by having an intellectual conversation. He made eye contact with her. Maybe the fact that we can't find common ground has less to do with our dance partner and less to do with the dance floor and more to do with the fact that we are not light on our feet. And Jesus was incredibly light on his feet. Friends, how we talk with others we deeply disagree with is a thermometer for how hot the gospel runs in our blood. The way we speak with them, even though we may have deep disagreements, is evidence for how much the gospel has really infiltrated our lives. And so we remember these lessons that we need lessons and we allow for mistakes and missteps and we have a tone of grace. And then we have these moves of finding a common goal and finding a common ground. But why do we do all this? We do all this because the Trinity is in a dance, if you will. Look at John 16. John 16, 14 and 15 says this. He, and Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the Trinity is in perfect harmony in perfect step with, each, step with each other, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the tone is winsome and gracious, and they are working together on the same page. The common goal is to seek and save the lost. The common ground is the unconditional love they share for, the, for humanity. And I wonder, friends, if we begin to get caught up in the life and the dance of the Trinity, and we begin to use Trinitarian tone in our dialogues, if people wouldn't be won over by that, if people wouldn't say they don't talk like everybody else, that's a bit different of a dialect and it's caught my ear and I would like to be a part of that community. This is all rooted in the Trinitarian nature of God. And as we get caught up, in that Trinity life, and we begin to lead the way, we remember to be humble. You see, the Father pointed to the Son and say, check him out, I'm gonna glorify him. The Son pointed to the Spirit and said, check him out, I'm gonna glorify him. The Spirit pointed to the Father. We remember to be humble. We don't know all things. We don't see all things. We remember to be curious. Jesus asked so many questions. Maybe for us, we start with that, asking questions. Questions are the language of love. Love. 
And then we remember that the Father is in the room. The Father is in the room. The Son is in the room. The Spirit is in the room. And so wherever we are, it's never really a one-on-one conversation, is it? God's there. And for those of us who've been avoiding for so long, God's there and he gives us courage, to be honest. And for those of us who have done damage for so long, God's there and he gives us restraint and patience. The Father's in the room. And not only that, when we have conversations with those in the outside world, this is my Father's world. So the Father's there too. And we remember that. And then we start to dialogue well and it may just win some over. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father, some of us right now, burdens have been rising up within us and we feel the weight of it because we have tough talks that we have to have and we just have to do it. And we have to lay that burden down by engaging in that well. Or maybe burdens arise on us because we've become more mindful of the negative wake we've left around us. And we need to go back and we need to ask for forgiveness and we need to try to understand. And Father, we know that this is completely possible with you because you're in the room. You're in the room, Christ. You're in the room, Holy Spirit, and you're with us to empower us to accomplish what you have called us to do. And so we do this as a community on move, sharing your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.